First, we've got a little situation we need to discuss. Maybe put him on the prayer list even. Marilyn, Marilyn called me today, and she was concerned about Charles. And she said that <laughs> he called her at work today. said, honey, you need to come home. Well, what's the matter, Charles? I'm perplexed. I just bought a jigsaw puzzle. I can't put it together, and I'm, my, my blood pressure is through the roof, and I just don't know how much more I can take. Well, Marilyn, being the calm person that she is, she said, well, honey, what kind of jigsaw puzzle did you buy? And he said, well, it's the one with the tiger on it. The, the box has a tiger on it. Well, I'll, I'll finish up at the office here, and I'll, I'll head home, and we'll work this out together. Well, when she got home, she walked in the kitchen. She looked at the box, and sure enough, there was a tiger on it. And she looked at the mess that Charles had made on the kitchen table. She thought for a minute. She looked at him and said, Charles, scrape up the frosted flakes, put them in the box, and we'll eat them later. I read that the other day, and I thought, I'm saving that one for my buddy. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, let me get my glasses out here. I'm looking a little blurry down on the notes. Um, in northern Virginia, in 1750, a woman's scream suddenly startled a group of surveyors at a lunch that they were having in the nearby woods. The men ran in the direction of the screen. One of the first to get there was a young 18-year-old boy. The woman yelled out, Please tell them to let me go. My boy is drowning. I need to save him. But the men holding the woman said, She will surely die in those flood-swelled waters. We can't let her jump in. Without hesitation, the 18-year-old took off his shoes. He spotted the troubled lad in the water, and he dove in. Thank God he will save my baby, said the mother. After what seemed like an eternity, the brave young man reached the boy, lifted him up in his arm, and began to swim toward the shoreline from which he came. As the two moved past the most difficult portion of water, a log floating in the water hit the two men and interrupted their momentum. They then moved farther downstream out of sight and over a nearby waterfall. Horror for a few minutes. Then the mother shouted, there they are, they're safe. Finally, the two boys reached the shore. Friends went to greet them. The woman overjoyed said to the young man who jumped in the water, God will give you a great reward. He will do great things for you in return for this day's work. And the blessings of thousands other than mine shall be yours. You know, we call it courage, the thing that that 18-year-old boy did. When others said it was hopeless and perilous and you can't make it, you can't do it. Stay here where it's safe. Don't get out of your comfort zone. The young 18-year-old boy thought, no, there's a life perishing and I have got to jump in that water to go save that boy. So he did. You know, courage isn't something you get overnight. You have to work at it. It's not something that you just, you're blown with. But that woman's well-wishing on that boy that saved her son came true. Some 39 years later, 
that hero was sworn in as the first president of the United States of America, George Washington. He's still a hero. I know he owns some slaves, but he's still a hero, and we honor him as such. Tonight's story, if you'll flip with me over to Esther, the book of Esther, 10 chapters tucked away just shortly before the book of Job, right underneath the book of Job. We're going to read about a lady who had courage and some people around her that had courage. And I'll be really fast. But Esther is a story about a beautiful young lady. A young lady that, quite honestly, God used to save a nation. The story takes place, I believe, about 480 years before the birth of Christ under the rule of King Xerxes. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about Esther. Her mother and father had died at a very young age, and her cousin, by the name of Mordecai, was a godly man, a God-fearing man, a, a man that taught faith in his home. Well, this man named Mordecai raised Esther. Well, the reason that Esther was able to be catapulted into this story in King Xerxes, he was having a party. It was because, because, as with most kings, he was a prideful man, and he wanted everyone to come around and tell him how awesome that he was. So he, he decided, okay, we're going to celebrate all that we have in Persia, and we're going to bring all 127 provinces in, and we're going to have a big celebration. And we're not going to cut corners either. The glasses were gold. Everything that the kingdom had, the finest it, that had to offer, it was offered that night. So King Xerxes had a huge feast. Well, he wanted to bring out his queen by the name of Vashti. But we don't know, the Bible doesn't really dwell on Vashti all that much. It just indicates that she didn't want to come. So she, he wanted to bring her out to show her off. Maybe she was bashful, maybe she was sick, maybe she just said, I don't want to be showed off. I don't know, but she refused the king's order, so this didn't sit well with Xerxes. So what did he do? He consulted with his counselors, and they said, put her away. Now, I don't really know what put her away means. I think she, at the very minimum, was fired as a queen. She might have even been killed. I didn't put a lot of study and time into that, but the Bible is very clear that he put her away. So then he had this big beauty pageant to replace Queen Vashti. So after months and months of, of makeup and, and, and clothing and parading and, and all this stuff, Finally, Esther was chosen as the queen. Now, Xerxes had a lot of wives and other queens, but Esther was the one we're talking about here. Esther was the one that saved the nation. Now, you ask, how did she do it? Well, Esther was a Jew, and again, Mordecai, her cousin, was a Jew. And I guess that Mordecai, when Esther became queen, she was able to kind of elevate her cousin Mordecai to a, a prominence, and I think he was, a, a, what I could gather, a guard at the gate, or he was a guard in the inner circle, the inner court, if you will. And Mordecai gained some favor with King Xerxes because he was able to develop, or, or, or at least de he was able to get information about a plot to kill the king. A couple of the men were upset at the way the king was leading. They were going to kill him, overtake his throne. Mordecai heard about this. He told Esther. Esther told the king Xerxes. The two men were beheaded or hung or whatever. They were killed. And Mordecai was a hero. He had gained favor with the king. Well, fast forward. A man by the name of Haman 
developed on the scene. And he was a very close confidant of King Xerxes. Well, the thing about Haman, he was in that inner circle, that command staff, if you will. And he had a lot of pride, too. He had a lot of pride. So much pride that when he walked by, he expected people to bow down to him. Well, one day he walked by Mordecai, and Mordecai didn't bow. Because Mordecai was raised, I don't bow to any man. I only bow to God. And he withheld that standard even when he was tested, even when he was tried. The Bible makes, makes reason that the people around Mordecai were like, hey, why don't you just bow and let him walk on by? And Mordecai was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I bow to no man but God. Well, this caused hate to develop in Haman's heart. And many of you know this story, but stay with me. And we'll join up here in just a few minutes in the book of Esther. Well, Haman developed hatred toward Mordecai. Not only Mordecai, but he developed hatred for all the Jews. So much so that he went to Xerxes and he developed a plan, I want to kill all the Jews. Now, he didn't really say the Jews initially. He kind of warmed up to it. And the way that he warmed up to it, he said, a certain people scattered abroad. Their culture, their customs are not of ours, king, and we need to exterminate these people. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but stay with me. So the king bought in. He was struggling a little bit, I I take it. But then all of a sudden, Haman come up with 10,000 large sacks of silver. So King Xerxes might have been struggling with doing it. But boy, when the money put on the table, Xerxes is like, okay, I'm going to issue a decree. And in so many days from now, we're going to exterminate all the Jews. We're going to kill all the Jews, both young and old. See, Haman was a hungry power-hungry villain. He wanted all the Jews dead, and he reinforced his plea by bribing Xerxes with 10,000 large bags of silver. Now, Mordecai was a man of strong faith. Now, obviously, if uh, I've, been, I've been reading we're in South Africa that, that there's been a, a somewhat of a decree issued to kill white people. Uh, if there was such a decree issued in Rockcastle County to kill all white men, all us white men, we'd probably get a little nervous. We'd probably start praying. We'd probably be like, ooh, I'm a little scared about this. I don't want people to come and kill me just because of my color or because of my belief. So Mordecai began to pray, and he began to fast. Especially when he heard the king's decree, all Jews, both young and old. So Queen Esther had heard about Mordecai being so upset Now, obviously, it wasn't. He didn't have the direct line of communication because she was now in the hierarchy and he couldn't just run to her anytime he wanted to. But but Queen Esther heard the problem. She heard that Mordecai was deeply bothered, and I need to know, why is he bothered? So she sent some of her messengers to go find Mordecai. And we'll pick up in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the first 14 verses about this historic event. Esther 4, verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. He was praying. He was fasting. He was entering into a worship cycle. Verse 2. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. 
And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hattach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. She, she sent Hattach to Mordecai, find out what's going on with him. Why is he so upset? He's so intense. Why? I need to know. Verse 6 tells us, So Hattach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king. Now, this is a very dangerous lifestyle, okay? You don't just go see the king. Now, I know you think, well, she's the queen. Sure she can. Sorry, feminism wasn't real popular in these days. You go before the king unannounced, there's a good chance you get your head chopped off or you'll get hung. Sorry, ladies, that's just the way that it was during this time in history. So she was hesitant. She wouldn't, she wasn't just going to offer up and say, well, I'm going to go straight to the king about this. Didn't happen. Verse 9, And Hatach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Now she's saying, I ain't seen my husband in 30 days, so I don't feel real comfortable just happening in there to discuss with him a decree that he's made. Especially when that decree was assisted by one of his most closest confidants. Verse 12. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. And he's telling her this. And listen up, church. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Miss Esther, cousin Esther, you're a Jew too. And it's only a matter of time until he comes after you. Your bloodline will be killed off as well. For if thou altogether, verse 14, let's don't miss this. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, if you keep quiet, if you're bashful, if you're scared, if you refuse to get involved, if you sit on the sidelines, that's what he's saying here. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. But thou and thy father's house, your bloodline will be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You know, I said it wasn't healthy approaching the king at your leisure, especially to challenge the decree of his most closest confidant. 
But you see, Esther had this same faith. Now, even though she was hesitant, even though she was rationalizing in her mind, I don't need to approach the king. I know he's my husband, but I've not seen him for 30 days, and I just don't feel comfortable walking into his court unannounced to complain about the way he's ruling things. But then I feel like what changed it was verse 14. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now what's he saying there? He's saying God has placed you in a position of influence. God has placed you where you can help. God has placed you where you have the ear of the king. God has placed you in a situation where you can jump in and help out people who are in harm's way. She struggled a little bit at first, didn't she? She started to rationalize her mind. No, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I need to do this. I don't, I don't know. It sounds kind of scary. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So she began to pray and fast, the Bible tells us. And she commanded those around her, those that she had influence over, to pray and to fast. Charles Stanley says, when you, or said, when you fight your battles on your knees, you win every time. So it was at that point that the pieces started to fall, the puzzle pieces started to fall into place. And as the story goes, Esther and Mordecai were honored and Haman was hanged. It just worked out. God's timing. We had a talk yesterday at Bibles and Biscuits and the sovereignty of God. And, and, and there was a gentleman there who probably took a little different approach to things. Than the, he wasn't, he's not a member here, and I'm not talking bad about him, but he just had a different view than the rest of us. And Charles handled it very well. But it got me to start thinking about the sovereignty of God. And, and, and this, that led to this. And I started thinking, we're here. You're here tonight. Each of you took time out. Some of you may not can make it on Wednesday nights. But you're here. Some of you have health problems. But you're here. Some of you have businesses to run. But you're here. Some of you set aside time, cooked before church, fed many. But you're here because God has placed you here for such a time as this. We're voting on an interim pastor tonight. And who knows, we may be voting on a full-time pastor. But it starts tonight. To God be the glory. Because see, God is in control. God knows. God knows. And God uses. And it's important that we know that God's timing is always right. We may not understand it. One of the saddest moments... And I, I, I hadn't really heard this song very much. Pardon me just for a second. I'd never heard, I'd heard it, but it hadn't resonated with me until the setting that we, in which I heard it. But Logan Medlock was a police officer in London, Kentucky. And I trained Logan when I was working at DOCJT. A DUI ran over him, just ran across the center line and took him out. Killed him, he left behind a wife and a young son. And I went to Logan's funeral, very sad, as you can imagine. I mean, they're just sad occasions, especially when there's youngsters involved and kids and who will never see their daddy again. 
And I, I said in that church that day, and, and the preacher got up and he started and he said, the family has asked me to sing Farther Alone. And if you read the lyrics of that song, it will impact your heart because it plainly states we don't understand. We don't always get it, but farther along we will. And at the breaks of that song, I could hear that little boy wailing, crying, never going to see his daddy again on this earth. Farther along, we'll understand. Farther along, we'll know why. So we don't know. But understand this, church. Hear me and hear me well. God has placed you here for a reason. And we need you. We need you. I challenge you at the beginning when Brother Travis left, we got to stay together, we got to stay intact, we got to stay motivated, and we've done that. And I commend you. In many ways, I think we're stronger now than we were. We've unified, we've come together, we love each other. I brag on your sweet spirit all the time. God bless you for that. But we cannot quit now. Yeah, we're getting a man to come in and mentor us and preach to us on a routine basis. Yeah, we're getting a man to come in and spiritually feed us. But there's no time to take the foot off the gas for such a time as this. Now, how does this apply? Let me tell you. We need van drivers. We don't just need one. We need teams of two. So my plea to you is, pray about it. When you first hear me, you're kind of like Queen Esther. Who I don't know about that. That's not too healthy. I'm going to get home late. I'm going to have to put up with a bunch of mouthy kids. I just don't know about that, Brother Darren. I don't know about that. Or you could be like George Washington, take your shoes off, your shirt off, and jump in the water. Because kids need saving. Stephen will tell you there are plenty of kids that want to come to church. And mommy and daddy won't bring them. Now I know, I know. Well, shame on mommy and daddy. That's right, shame on mommy and daddy. But we can't get caught up in chastising mommy and daddy. We've got to step up and get involved. Maybe it's a husband and a wife team. Maybe it's two men that are good friends in this church. I'm not saying you do it every week. Hal needs help. Hal's not getting home until 10 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Church gets over at 8.30. And by the time you make a couple runs, you're out late. So my plea to you is this. We need van drivers. So if you're capable and willing, if God has put you in the position like Esther to make an influence, then I'm challenging you. Me and Ronnie, we've done decided we're going to take a week. And what I'd like to do if we get this thing rolling if you do Sunday, then you do the following Wednesday, and then you're off for at least a month. If enough people do it, maybe you're off for two months. But you want to get connected in this church? You want to feel a part of this church? You want to feel the heartbeat of the church? Then you get around kids, and you bring kids to church. And for an hour, an hour and ten minutes, they learn about Jesus. Think about how awful this world is. The apps on their phone are written by Satan. The TV, the medias that they watch, everything is trying to recruit them away from God. And they've got parents, some guardians even, grandparents, aunts who are 
quite frankly, wore out and tired. And they're not able to introduce and indoctrinate scriptural things in the mind of those children. But for an hour, a couple hours a week, because you took the time, because you threw your shoes off and you jumped in the water to go save that perilous child, I want you to think long and hard about it. And my hope is that we've got enough people to do it to cover two months. We got two buses. And, I, and, and my hope is that maybe in six months we're so full that maybe we need to think about buying a third van. You see, that's how we build it. And we get a pastor in here and he sees that ignition that we have and that fire and that momentum. It's going to be hard for him or whoever. If we, whoever. It's going to be hard for him to say, no, I don't want nothing to do with that church. They're going to see a heartbeat. You see pastors that are out there people that we're desiring to seek, they're looking at us as much as we're looking at them. And if there's no eagerness, if there's this, ooh, I don't want to do that. Ooh, no. Ooh, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I read the Bible. I attend Sunday school. I go to church pretty frequently. I give offering. I'm good. Don't want to do anything. Don't want to do anything. Don't want to do anything. You know, I... There's a certain verse in the the scripture. And not not just van drivers, we need need to make visits. Charles kind of come up with a, he he gets aggravated when I say it's his ministry, but he came up with it, so I'll give him credit. He wants to pay attention, us to be aware of needs and physically go maybe repair those needs. Maybe it's a deck on the back of a house that needs repairing. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a front porch that needs repairing. Maybe it's a leak on a house. Charles has said, you know what, I'm willing to go. And Charles has got some folks that's going to go with him. Good old faithful Ronnie back there has agreed to go. We need doers to help go fix. Maybe you've got to give up a day a week. But we need people to make visits. Take off your shoes, jump in the water, because people are drowning. I want to stir you. I want to motivate you. It's halftime. We're getting beat. And when we go back out on that field in the second half, we've got to come alive. I know. It's demoralizing. It, it just seems like Satan's winning. Uh, we, we've got a governor who says it's A-OK to give kids hormone pills to change their gender. And we've got a governor who, who wants to be able to, to, to let parents decide what the gender of their kid is. And then we've got a media who says, well, now, no, the governor didn't say that. Now, you know, but truth, truth here, we're, but he vetoed the bill that would protect the children. So, yeah, he's for that. And I get so tired of hearing a media that tries to make me believe something that just ain't so. We live in troubled times. People are drowning. And we don't have to go to the Dominican, God bless them. We don't have to go... To wherever, God bless them, we've got people right here that are drowning. It broke my heart during VBS. And I'm not, I don't want to come across as I'm demeaning. But when I would drop some of these little babies off and I would watch what they have to go home to, they're drowning. And this is a good church. You all are good, rock-solid people but our inclination is mine included 
is I want to stand on the shower line and hold the woman. Don't go in and save your child. Stay right here. It's too perilous. You can't do it. But history records that George Washington said, you know what? That guy's in trouble. I'm going to get him. We need to have the eyes of George Washington. There's a, and I'm, I'm finished right here. There's a verse in the Bible that every time I read it, it convicts me. And quite honestly, it scares me just a little bit. Because I think to myself, is he talking to me? <clears throat> now this is a red letter. This is the carpenter saying this. This is the Galilean saying this. This is Jesus Christ saying this. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That, that scares me. It gets my attention. And then in my mind I start thinking, well, I'm saved and I do this and I do this and I do this, but I don't do that, I don't do that. I sin, I do this, I sin. I cause other people to sin. I have a bad attitude and it, it's, a, it's a wrestling match in my mind. It's God talking to me right there. But what does the Galilean say? But he that doeth. That he that doeth. He that doeth. He that doeth. The story is told of a church that wanted to construct a new building. Inquiring around as to who could do the various jobs, they were given the name of a certain man. The officials called the man, asked him if he could do the job and settle on a price. When the man showed up to start his portion of the work, he met the minister. The minister remembered the man to be knowledgeable in the Bible, and his confidence only grew in the man as he talked to him. This gave the church leaders great confidence in this man. After he finished the first portion of his particular job, he gave the bill to the church. The bill was considerably higher than the agreed amount, but the church didn't say anything. They went ahead and paid the bill, and they thought, well, it was for part of the labor that was to be done in the future. Okay. When it came time to call the man to come back, it took several calls to get him to respond. He even held up the progress of the other workers. Finally, he came. He worked very slowly. Fortunately, the other contractors were able to work around him. During the second visit, the minister learned that the man was a Sunday school teacher at the church that he attended. Several weeks later, the church had decided on an opening day for their building. Finishing touches were needed on the building, so they started calling the man to come back and finish his work. They called several times, and each time the man said he would come the following day, and each time he didn't show up. After a few weeks of no-show and postponing the opening day, the church hired another man. This man showed up when he said he would. He was tatted up, he looked a little intimidating, he smoked like a freight train, and he even used some rough language. The second man didn't know much about the Bible, and he didn't teach a Sunday school class. But he finished his work in a timely manner. He even worked overtime to make sure that the church got done on the date that they wanted to get done. And when he was done, he gave a very reasonable bill to the church. A week after the finished work, the other man, the initial man, the Sunday school teacher, showed up at the church just prior to occupation of the building. He saw what the other man had done, 
And he went home and he sent the church another bill. The Sunday school teacher sent the church another bill. Far greater than the initial bill agreed upon. So I ask you, which one of those two men was the doer? Which one represented what the Galilean taught? Are you a doer? Do you hold your hands and think, I don't know, I like getting home. Now, Saturdays are mine. I don't know much about carpenter work. I don't know about this Charles guy. I don't know. And you come up with a bunch of questions and you, and you just kind of stay right where you are. My challenge to you is to not, not stay where you are. Wherever you are in your Christian walk, take it a step up a notch. Sing in the choir. Attend Sunday school. Be faithful. Drive a van. We got so many things. Make a visit. So many things that we can do. We are we're experiencing right now a flicker. Y'all ever tried to build a fire and you and you see a little flicker and you you blow it to try to get the oxygen in to get the flame up and so you can get warm or whatever you need to do and you you're blowing really hard. If you cheat, you get you some charcoal fluid and put on it. But but let's stay real and blow the fire. I'm trying to blow the fire. I'll even say I'm trying to put charcoal lighter fluid on you. We've got kids that need followed up on because they got saved at church camp. We've got kids that want to get baptized. And I told you two weeks ago, we will never be a dying church. Oh, we may lose some of our stalwarts, and we have. We've lost some faithful people the last few years people that we love and taught us and showed us the way. And we've lost them. And you know what? In the next 10 years, we're going to lose some more. But as long as we're reaching out to the young people, this church will never die. We will stay alive. We will be vibrant. And we will see lives changed because we're willing to take off our shoes and jump in the water. Let's pray. Lord, I love these people, and I hope I haven't come across as jumping on them. But Lord, I just, there's a call for such a time as this. As Mordecai reached out to Esther, Father, there's a call that we need to answer. Yeah, we do good things. Yeah, we, 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 what we do is good. But Father, we, we need to ask ourselves, can we do better? There's, this needs to be self-analysis right here. We don't need to look at anybody else. We don't need to compare our work to anybody else, Father. We need to focus on you and what would you have us do. And we need to pray. And, Father, maybe we need to fast. And if we do that, Father, if we're that focused on you, then we will take our shoes off and we will proverbially jump in the water. Help us, Lord, to do better. Help us to get out of our comfort zone. Help us to put aside the hesitation. Help us to put aside the procrastination. And Lord, help us to serve you. And this church will be on fire for you. We can see some souls saved. And Father, we can be encouraging to our community. And we can reach out and help, Father, to magnitude that maybe we've never done or at least not done in a long time. Lord, I love these folks. And I just pray that you would motivate them, that you would motivate them, Father. Not me, not my words, you. Speak to their heart, pierce their heart. And Lord, help them to step out. 
Take it up another notch. Take it to another level. And may we serve you like we have never had before. Faithfully serve you like we never have before. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these dear people, Father. Thank you for the good attendance tonight, Father. It shows me it's encouraging to me because I know they care. And Lord, I just pray for Brother Allen, Father. If he's the man, then make it clearly to us. But, Father, we're excited that right now as we enter into the business meeting and decide whether he will be the interim pastor, Father. Use us, Father. Use him. Use us to bring honor to your name. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you. Forgive me where I fail you, Father, because I am chief of sinners. And I ask your forgiveness, Father, of my sins. Direct us and guide us, and may everything we do bring honor to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.